to pH Balance, the podcast where we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly things that occur in relationships, our need for healing in them and through them. My name is Akeisha Jones, and I am your host. And today, we got company again. Jafar is in the building, and we're going to finish the conversation on relationships and the two pandemics. But today, we're focusing more on the racial part that we're dealing with right now in the world. So, Jafar, welcome. You know, Akeisha, thank you for having me back on this wonderful podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How about yourself? I am doing okay. I'm so interested in this topic um, because I think it's something that's going to be interesting for us to kind of unpack. And hopefully through our discussion today, we'll be able to help some folks as they begin to unpack their own relationship needs. Absolutely. And listen, y'all, if y'all tune in to different podcasts, I want you to check out Responsibly Reckless. This podcast, the discussion on black lives versus white lives is one you just don't want to miss. I'm telling you. And this topic today kind of coincides. So if you like what you hear today, or even if you don't, go on over to Responsibly Reckless and check it out because Jafar is kicking some real knowledge for you. Thank you, Keisha. So listen, today, relationships and the two pandemics. Last time we talked about COVID-19, how it has impacted different relationships and things of that nature. But today I want to talk about the racial issues that we're dealing with, the police brutality, the black lives being killed by white vigilantes and things of that nature. But I don't really want to go too much into the, the conversation about those things. I want to go into the conversation on how relationships that you may have as a principal, um, as a father may be affected, or even as you're seeing as a father with some of your children and, and their um, peers that you may be seeing or hearing about the change in the dynamics of the relationships because there's a difference in opinion of the black lives matter versus all lives matter. Um, so before we get into that, I just want to point this out um, because I want to make sure that it's clear. When we say black lives matter, it is not for the intention of saying that any other life does not matter. We're definitely not saying that other lives are not valuable. What we're saying is, is that other lives are not having to be concerned about being shot dead would be pulled over for a routine traffic stop. They don't have to worry about their, you know, knocking on a door to ask for help because they've been in a car accident. Mm. They don't have to worry about walking to the store to go get some Skittles and their life being taken. Black people, males and females, adults and children are having to be concerned about our lives because of the fact that There are just unfortunately some individuals that just do not respect our life. Mm -hmm. Our life does not appear to be important, Mm -hmm. but I am here to dispel the myth. Our life matters. Black lives matter. All lives do matter, but from the rooftops, I'm shouting black lives matter because it is our lives that are being taken unnecessarily. So, Now that I have put that to rest, because the one thing that I 
will not do is go back and forth with individuals about black lives matter versus all lives matter versus blue lives matter because at the end of the day we are all human and all of our lives matter however until those that do not treat us as such until they line up and treat us as though all lives matter I'm beating on my chest, shouting from the rooftop, and using every platform that I have to say that my life, my son's life, my daughter's life, my granddaughter's life, my cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, grandparents, mother, father, brothers, everybody who looks like me, who's got the melanin that's shining bright in them, our lives matter. And I'm going to keep saying it until we all line up together. All right. So, now that we got that out of the way, I just want to know, as a principal in a diverse area, Mm -hmm. do you feel like your relationships with people have changed? I know that we're, um, everyone is working remotely for the most part. Well, not everyone, but many people are working remotely. Um, but do you feel like your relationships or your approach to certain relationships, work relationships have had to, um, be adjusted due to the current climate? Oh, wow. So Keisha, that's a great question. I think I like to do is kind of look at it from a principal perspective, working in a school, um, where your students are diverse where your um, faculty and staff are diverse. I also want to look at it as just in coming from an African-American male perspective. And we're talking about, you know, relationships in the two pandemics. I also wanted to share, I think, I think is a funny antidote that I think speaks to um, this notion of this black lives really matter. So I'm going to start with that one first. Okay. So I've been on a dating site mm-hmm. and um, I was messaged um, before uh, the George Floyd incident. Mm-hmm. I was messaged by a, um, a white woman mm-hmm. who I guess saw my profile and was interested in wanting to talk with me or speak with me. She wanted a little chocolate. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> so, so you know, I um, you know, I'm open, so I'm I don't discriminate. You know, I was at the time I was uh, single, and um, so the conversation was pretty, um, you know, pretty standard when you are on a dating website. Uh, why are you here? What do you like to do? Yada yada yada. Okay, so we're having this back and forth text dialogue on the dating website. Um, we had some common interests. We were both were educated. And um, as soon, and there was consistent dialogue. Mm-hmm. As soon as the George Floyd incident occurred in our country, at that moment, I didn't hear anything else from her. Mm-hmm. So, from my mind, I was sitting back trying to figure out, is it me or was it George Floyd? Mm. Did she not like me or she felt some way about George Floyd? Or did she feel like maybe I would not want to continue to talk with her because 
all of this unrest was unleashed behind the George Floyd incident. And then let me be honest. Maybe I was thinking to myself, do I continue with this conversation because of the George Floyd incident? So, you know, those those um, those battle lines are drawn Mm -hmm. down the middle. And interestingly enough, um, I didn't hear back from her Mm -hmm. and I didn't pursue the conversation further. So I I don't know. I think there, there is an impact that has occurred with people in their dynamic and relationships. I think that people are afraid to dialogue because the truth hurts because we have to see the truth in front of us with his murder. Mm-hmm. And you know, white fragility is a real thing. Um, a lot of white people are, um, you know, they are not prejudiced. They, you know, love people as people, as human beings. And, but they don't always recognize that there is a certain privilege that they have been born with right. because of the color of their skin. Right. And um, so when they do recognize that, you know, that that is a difficult place to be in. And that's why it's called white fragility, you know, because it even though they're intentionally not Mm -hmm. racist and things of that nature, they recognize that, you know what, in life, I have certain advantages or I have the availability of certain advantages simply because I am right. You know, whereas my black counterparts don't have these advantages necessarily so it's hard when a racial situation is occurring in the world probably for an individual who is attracted to black men and and has no you know ill feelings toward black people but she may have said you know what let me step back because this black man may be mad i'm mad and and may not want any dealings with me so i don't want to get my feelings hurt it may not be that she wasn't into you it could just be that she was just like you know what yeah, this is a real touchy time. I'm going to go ahead and just bow out um, gracefully, throw the finger up or the two fingers up and say deuces. I'll try to, you know, maybe run it back later when mm-hmm. things calm down maybe or whatever. But it, I, I just think that that probably is a situation because initially she was reaching out to you. So I yeah. don't see that she would have been racist unless she was just trying to. Um, yeah, that's yeah. for another conversation. Yeah, so could it be that was it because you think that I changed my profile picture to a wearing a black beret and a dashiki? <laughs> well, <laughs> you think, yeah, well, now you think you that had an impact? A little more threatening. And I had my black sunglasses on and my black fist up. You think that did something? Well, I mean, because you can't kind of portray yourself as the, the black right. militant what black happens, panther. What happens to white fragility when they have to be confronted with that image? Hmm. Well, I mean, you have one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to recognize and take ownership to the fact that, yeah, there is certain things Mm -hmm. that I am privileged to. There are certain things that my ancestors contributed to. And I still, in an underlying way, may be a contributor. Right. um, You know, however, unintentionally. Right. And then you have the whole other aspect. Well, my ancestors did that. I didn't do that. So I would have I would have continued with the conversation. Um, But maybe that image ran her off but <laughs> let me be honest uh folks i did not have on a dashiki or a black beret with my sunglasses but nevertheless i i did note that um the dialogue ended and i think you're you're making some great points i think i don't think our folks know what to say mm-hmm. 
because the imagery is so up in your face. It's irrefutable. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. So either they're going to be able to deal with the truth or they're going to be able to hide from the truth. Mm -hmm. So in reference to dealing with these truths on the job and how relationships change, I will tell you, since we've been in this um, virtual protesting, upheaval, up unrest culture over the last month, what I've also noticed in my respective um, business is that folks still don't want to deal with the issues. I've not had a single conversation with any of my white co-workers or counterparts about all that has gone on over the last month. Mm -hmm. I've not gotten a text message to say, hey, how are you doing? I know this must be tough. And not to say that we need um, some level of sympathy, but I think as Americans, this is an American issue. It's not just a black issue or a white issue. It's an American issue. I think it goes even beyond America. Absolutely. Because racism is in, in various countries. Absolutely. So it's a deeper issue, but I think the same way that I think the dominant class has buried their head and not wanted to really confront racism, you're, we're seeing that play out in the relationships that we have with our white counterparts on the job. And then on the flip side of that, these kind of incidences allow for persons of color, particularly African-Americans, to develop even a deeper sense of solidarity working on the job because they know, we know, we both know, we all know that we are somehow impacted by all that what we're seeing mm -hmm. and it makes us want to become closer together to be more supportive. Mm -hmm. What I would hope from the George Floyd incident that on the job that there is some dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now what's happening is that if you notice Keisha that there are CEOs of major corporations that are putting out um, statements relation, related to their feelings and stance and what the company stands for and what the company will not tolerate. Yeah, but their bottom line is the dollar. Absolutely. And I feel like at the end of the day they're doing lip service because as you said their bottom line is the dollar and they want to continue to um, you know have the black dollar come in to um, support their companies but I think it's lip service because honestly the dialogue should have happened a long time ago why should we have to wait for another murder of a unarmed african-american male or female mm -hmm. at the hands of the police at the hands of white vigilantes why do we have to wait for that for those incidences to uh, push dialogue um, as far as how we deal with each other these things should be happening outright there should be dialogue that is ongoing it shouldn't be dialogue that just happens because something tragic has happened this always this already should be in the fabric of companies to dialogue on these things very openly absolutely I mean if you look back to Rodney King um, the beatings of Rodney King you know, we rioted, and um, and I say we because I'm I'm speaking as a community, um, even though I physically wasn't there, physically wasn't rioting. But, right. Um, you know, we rioted, um, we protested, we were angry, and I think that you know, um, 
certain people in certain positions did just enough to make us feel better. And then we went back to the status quo. We went back to business as usual. And I think that right now we're at a place where we can't do that. You know, Um, we can't allow them to, okay, well, let me give you this and let me give you that um, so that, you know, they'll pipe down. No, now it's not about giving me this. It's not about giving me that. Okay, if you give us Juneteenth off, great. Thank you. Right. Um, because it is deserving. Well, if you want to celebrate black history all year round, because our history is every day and right. not just in February. Great. That's fine. But I want policies changed. The Constitution needs to change. There are things that need to change that are lasting changes, not just temporary changes until we forget about these changes right. and we get comfortable in our day to day life. Then we can um that's when I'll, and, I'll have a little bit of a smile on my face because i mean I, yeah. I look at it i'm a veteran right right and um serving having served in the united states army and i remember um doing a facebook live post on memorial day as i ran the route of the fallen soldiers right. for the installation near um where i live right and um as I ran that route, I'm looking at every face of every service member. And I say fallen soldiers, but it's actually every branch of service mm-hmm. is represented right. for the fallen along that route. Right. And, um, and, and the pictures that are there are just a portion of the fallen. Right. But that portion represents every race every gender, mm-hmm. every sexual orientation, right. every religious background, that is a representation of the entire world. Mm-hmm. These men and these women gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have the right to be free, the right to have the freedoms that aren't really free. But yet right. and still, even with that ultimate sacrifice, and not just these men and women, there are men and women that came before them, right. various eras that came before them that laid their lives down, um, you know, and, and not just in the military, even black people who protested and black people who took a stand of, of certain, you know, injustices have lost their lives right. because of them choosing to say, you know what, I'm not going to let you t- continue things along the narrative that you're on. This is time for change. And I agree, it's time for change, but this is not the time to um, placate African-Americans. I think what we're seeing is that there's these gestures that I think are empty because it lacks the full authentic desire to have dialogue. Case in point, since the George Floyd murder, since the uprisings, the, some of these corporations have decided to to remove the um, faces of 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 their um, own products that featured African American um, stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, right now um, we lost Aunt Jemima; mm-hmm. she's no longer on the the pancake box. Mm-hmm. But if you do the history of Aunt Jemima, you go back from Aunt Jemima that had this wonderful hairdo on the pancake box with earrings, mm-hmm. looking all spruced up and beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
10, 15 years ago, that same Aunt Jemima was on that, that pancake box, but she had a handkerchief on her head. Mm-hmm. You go all the way back to the beginning of the founding of her, the representation of Aunt Jemima pancakes with this person, and you find that the picture of Aunt Jemima in the early part of the um, advertising for the pancake um, mix had her holding a stack of pancakes and her foot was chained to the stove, Mm -hmm. okay? The foot being chained to the stove is that connection with her being in servitude, Mm -hmm. her being in slavery. So while her image has changed over the years, it had never been removed. Right. So, yeah, removing the image is the first step. But what is the most sustainable step? Having some real dialogue as to why the image got on the box to begin with. And an apology. And an apology. Mm-hmm. And some discussion as to what it is, where we were, base, base, where we were and where we want to be. So no more empty promises, no more statements about what your stance is on racism because you're trying to protect, as you talked about, Keisha, the, the bottom line. Now there needs to be some dialogue and constructive work to heal. Mm-hmm. And if we're not interested in any of that, then that means you really don't care about us and care about our feelings mm-hmm. and care about our place in this society. And you're gonna, if you don't care, then you're going to continue to see what I'm calling an uprising. I'm not calling this a riot or a protest. It's time to, up, to, to rise up and to address these things head on. And it's not going to be all pretty. It's not always going to be um, nonviolent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I look at this from the, um, the perspective that, you know, pH balance is not necessarily about um, the spiritual aspect of my life, but the spiritual aspect of my life is a part of who I am. Right. So as a minister, Jesus flipped tables over. Jesus protested, you know. So how is it that it's okay for white people who believe in the same God and the same Jesus right. that I do can say that what we're doing is wrong, but they're not looking at the fact that Jesus protested and that Jesus flipped tables over when he was angry about things that were being right. done that were that were wrong. And I'm going to take it even further. Jesus was an unarmed black man. <laughs> you better say that. Jesus was an unarmed black man, and look what they did to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if we're not going to have some dialogue about racism and prejudice and discrimination and persecution that has been going on for over 2,000 years, if you're not ready to address these things, then stop placating us. Right, absolutely. Because this is the thing. I have no problem with spending my hard-earned dollars in the black community only. Right. I have no problem with not wearing certain labels, not carrying certain brands, um, to not furthering certain people we were allowing a lot of people to get rich off of us right who don't particularly care for us absolutely you know so why are we feeding their families and they're not willing to help us you know to do better right. and to get better you know I, I think about growing up you know mm-hmm. I grew up in um, the DC Maryland and Virginia area okay. pretty well diverse area you know I grew up with people of um, you know, who were white. I grew up with people who were black. I grew up with um, not really any Asians um, right. that I think about it. But, you know, p- 
people who were um, from Pakistan and we got along great you know as children there were a couple people we didn't like or you know sometimes we didn't like you we might have gotten to fight with you stuff like that but it was never because of the color of your skin right it was always because of something you did or something you said but never the color of your skin you know we treated each other as the human race and then i joined the military mm -hmm. another diverse group you know um some people don't have the same story as me but in my story, the leadership that I've had, I didn't get treated differently because of the color of my skin. Now, I know some people who were mistreated by, you know, some of their leadership because of the color of their skin, unfortunately. Um, but it is sad that we have children who can get along in a setting with people who look different than them. Right. But as adults, we cannot, you know. Right. Um, and, and this is the thing. Hatred and racism is not something that you're born with. It's right. something That's that you are taught. taught. You know, there's a the irony of what you're talking about. So you grew up in the DMV area, and you're you're saying, and the DMV area for our listeners are is Del, uh, excuse me, DC, DC Maryland, Maryland, Virginia, Virginia mm -hmm. which is all south of the Mason Dixon line. Mm -hmm. You and I are in the same age group, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I think I might be a little bit younger than you. Lies. <laughs> anyway, we know that we're part of the same generation. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in New York. Okay, so I grew up north of the Mason-Dixon line where you would think that there was this big sense of support and di of diversity and racism wasn't as severe as you would perceive it to be mm -hmm. south of the Mason-Dixon line. Mm -hmm. But I want your listeners to know that I experienced more racism in New York than I have in Virginia. Oh, wow. So while you're you're speaking of this connection with all races, mm -hmm. I went to a school that was incredibly segregated, uh, not just by race but by economics. Mm -hmm. I grew up in an area of New York where if you were caught in a white neighborhood, mm -hmm. you can be chased, mm -hmm. you can be beaten, and you could be killed. Mm -hmm. So while we're talking about George Floyd, while we're talking about Sandra Bland, while we're talking about Eric Garner, when I was a kid, and we're talking about in the early to mid-1980s, I had names like Eleanor Bumpers, mm -hmm. who was killed as a, a woman coming out of an apartment, gunned down by the New York City police. Wow. Um, a gentleman by the name of Michael Griffin, who was killed because he was spraying graffiti on the subways and he was killed gunned down by the police. Mm -hmm. Michael Stewart, who was an African-American teenager who was in a um, section of Queens called Howard Beach. His car broke down. He went for some help, he and his friends, and the, the white folks chased him out of the neighborhood, and he ran across this parkway or this highway we have in New York called the Belt Parkway, mm -hmm. and he was struck and killed by a vehicle because he was running, running for his life. Wow. Another gentleman, my last gentleman, the gentleman by the name of Yusef Hawkins in 1989, uh, he and I were the same age. We were both teenagers. He was in a section of Brooklyn called Bentonhurst, and he was um, looking to purchase a vehicle that he saw in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And he was in the wrong neighborhood. They chased him out of the neighborhood, they, and they ultimately beat him to death. Beat him to death. Okay, mm -hmm. this is all happening in the 1980s in New York. Uh -huh. So I'm well versed with this idea of, and also all of these folks that were killed mm -hmm. 
all had to be suspects in their own murder. Yes. And ultimately, those folks who uh, committed these crimes, many of them got off. Many of them were acquitted. Of course. So we have to have some real dialogue, and we have to be honest with ourselves about what's happening in our society. And I think companies, corporations, um, whether you're profit or nonprofit, should have the courage to address these things head on and ensure that there is real dialogue. Because again, I'll go back to my first point um, that I'm a principal. Mm -hmm. I'm working with other administrators. I'm working with other teachers. Mm -hmm. And so far, none of us has had any dialogue about what has happened over the last month. And you probably won't, you know. Right. Um, so, like... In listening to what you're saying, like in the military, we had to learn what's called consideration of others training. Mm -hmm. um, and in that training, we were to consider the person. You know, we weren't to treat people based on the color of their skin. We weren't to be racist. We weren't to be sexist. Nothing or, or classist. You right. know, um, and even though it happened, you know, racism occurred, sexism and classism occurred in the military. Um, but for the most part, we were taught not to. Right. So, of course, that it bothers me to see that some organizations have been teaching this for quite some time. And right. Some haven't. But then kind of going back to what you said, you know, this is not new. Right. What we're dealing with and what we're experiencing is not new. It's just um, being filmed. Mm -hmm, exactly. And, um, you know, and, and if our listeners go and listen to Responsibly Reckless, they'll hear you talk about how, you know, this occurred in um, with Emmett Till. Right. So, um, so think all those years ago. Now we just have technology, right, and social media to put it out to the public at large to see what is going on, so that it's not just a small community that's right. in outrage. It is the entire world that is in outrage, and now it's not just limited to. Um, and it's not new for us to have white allies either, right? Um, because you know, if we think about. Um, Martin Luther King in the um, Selma, right? right? There were white allies. There right. were um, white allies who lost their lives that came and stood with them, right. with the black community to march, you know, in Selma and, and lost their lives as a result of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, but then I think about even with talking about like relationships as a parent, our relationships with our children has to shift because, um, you know, and, and I'm kind of guilty of it because growing up, I didn't have certain experiences. I got followed in the store. Um, I had been called the N-word or a nigger, um, for those of you who don't understand don't know what the, the N-word is. is. Um, but, you know, and stuff like that, I've had those experiences. But at, because I had the opportunity to be in the military and the opportunity to experience things from a different perspective... I didn't think I needed to have certain conversations with my children. So when they were a lot younger, I wasn't having these conversations right. with my children until more things began to happen. Right. And then I started having to have them. But I recognized that my daughter, who is my oldest child, I had to have this conversation with her because right. she's a black female. Right. And if she happens to be riding with a boyfriend or a male friend in the car, right. she's subjected to some of these things, you know. And um, unfortunately, she has been pulled over. Right. She has been handcuffed and sat on the side of the road and had her car searched and, and, and you know, and had to sit in fear in that moment. And, um, and at the time, she was on her way home from work. Right. And it was late at night. And I knew she was on her way home because she would always communicate, hey, mama, mama, way. 
And I hadn't heard from her, and she hadn't arrived home, and she right. should have by then. Right. So I'm calling, I'm FaceTiming, and when she finally answered, it was because one of the officers allowed her, he answered it for her, mm. and she had to tell me that she had been pulled over. So you know what I did? What'd you do, Keisha? I got out of my bed, and I went to go check, see about my baby, because right. I, you know, I had to. And, um, you know, and it took me back to remembering when I don't, I don't even know how old I was, but I know I was pretty young when um, my mother got on me about speaking in slang. Mm. I was outside and I was hanging out with my friends and I was speaking in slang and my mother snatched me up and, um, and she said to me, no, you speak properly. You speak properly. You learn proper English. You speak proper English. You have a choice to utilize proper English and you speak properly. So I got teased at right. speaking like a white girl growing up. But in addition to that, in that conversation, she what? instilled in me that I, I had three strikes against me, which is why I had to speak in such a way. But we had to go back to something you just said. Uh-huh. You said speaking like a white girl. Uh-huh. How? Why do we equate speaking properly speaking proper as speaking white because the flip side of that is so then fast forward to when one becomes an adult mm -hmm. like me first full-time job working with children uh, a white teacher came up to me and said to me oh Jafar you speak so well mm -hmm. you are so articulate mm -hmm. you speak so well where are you from? <laughs> so I'm an African-American male mm -hmm. and the fact that I'm being noted for speaking so well and all I was doing, Keisha, is speaking the King's English. Exactly. And you know what? And that's the thing, like growing up, that's what I was told. You speak like a white girl, you speak like a white girl. Um, but it wasn't that I spoke like a white girl. It was that I'm speaking the King's English. I'm enunciating my words the right. proper way. Um, might be a little twang here or there, right. but um, you know, and sometimes I don't say the full word. I might say M instead of them, you know, um, or things of that nature. I'm going to sometimes speak in slang, but I know how to speak proper dialogue. Right. I know how to articulate effectively. Right. And, but that doesn't make me white. And yeah. It doesn't make me speak as I'm white, but the stereotype is. Right. That um, and that is the the narrative that many people have put out there, and even and we're guilty of it as black people. We're mm -hmm. guilty of it as saying it. Um, we're even guilty of um, kind of coming for each other because oh, you think you better than me because you light skin. And a lot of wow. that has to do with it goes way back right. to ancestors. And that would be um, a, to, whole a whole topic, topic and show onto itself. Yes, but anyways, going back to that conversation with my mother when she yoked me up that day is my mother had to remind me that I was born with three strikes against me. I'm a female, I'm black, and I'm a black female. And mm. that's something that stuck with me. And in everything that I do, education-wise, every mm. job that I do, I always give a hundred plus percent right because of the fact that it was instilled in me that because of the color of my skin my hard work my dedication and my efforts are not necessarily going to be recognized the same as my white counterparts were right they may not do as much or work as hard but they're going to get the recognition that i'm not going to get for working harder and doing more absolutely you know and um so my mother instilled that in me to instill good work ethic mm -hmm. not 
for it to be a negative thing, but she was telling me that you have to give your best right. in all that you do. And there's nothing wrong with telling your child that because I think every parent should be teaching their child to give their best. But as black people, we have been put in position to where we have to teach our child to act a certain way and be a certain way in certain situations. Right. We so have we have to be to, like a chameleon. Right. But we all, right. Chameleon, code switching. Mm-hmm. But we're doing that to um, placate white folks. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that for white acceptance because we are pandering to white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have those honest dialogues about all of those things. And I think if George Floyd's murder doesn't do anything, it needs to force the dialogue because if you look at the children, the babies that are out protesting, because the protesting is really coming from the the babies who are in their teens and in their twenties. Absolutely. And and it's extremely diverse. Mm -hmm. So we have a diverse group of folks who are saying we no longer want to function this way. So we have to listen to them so that they can in turn be armed to usher in a new way of thinking, a, a new um, ideology, because the the way of thinking, the old way of thinking is slowly um, turning and it's slowly going away. And that is the old way of thinking on not just white folks part, but on African-American parts, mm-hmm. parts as well, is that I think folks are understanding that we have to look at this thing entirely different and we have to have the dialogue and that's what I love about your show PH Balance and what we're trying to do on Responsibly Reckless is that we're pushing the envelope to have the dialogue so that we can continue to speak in a new uh, reality and change the narrative of what's been happening in our society. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, when I was watching the BET Awards, one of the things that one of the, the statements, and I can't remember who said it right now, um, I'm drawing a blank on that. But the statement was, when you go back to work, don't change the way that you talk. Don't change the way that you act. So we have to stop code switching. We have to be ourselves. I don't have to go to work and and put on my um, quote unquote white voice. Absolutely. You know, um, so we have to because the responsibility is not just with white people. We have a responsibility as a black community too. We right. have to walk in our authenticity. Right. And and not be apologetic for it. Right. We should be unapologetic in being authentically right. ourselves. Because what happens is is that we as black people have generationally learned to put on masks to fit right. into the particular situations that we need to fit into, which is known as you stated right. earlier, was code switching. Right. Um, we no longer need to operate in that. And right. and the one thing that I love that you pointed out is that we have a new young generation that is out here saying, yo, this is not healthy. I'm, right. We can't do this. We're not doing this. They're, they have said that the way that we as the world has been operating is toxic and they're tired of the toxicity and they're not going to continue that generational curse of toxicity into the future. And that is why I say 
that we must give our young people a voice and a platform to utilize their voice. We need to hear what they're saying. Right. You know, we spend so much time saying a child should be seen and not heard, but we need to hear our babes because they're seeing some things and they're saying some things that we need to be listening to. Right. And they're saying and seeing things that make sense. Right. And, um, when we give them that platform and when we give them that voice, we recognize that they're not just our future. We're quick to say the children are our future. They're not just our future. Right. They are our right now. Absolutely. And we need to allow them to walk in their right now, right now. Great point. And, and, and I just think that the way that this conversation continues is that we all must find a way to get involved. Absolutely. There are various ways to get involved. Um, if, if protesting and walking and marching the streets is not your way or not what you're available to do, that's fine. Right. Find ways to get involved. Are you registered to vote? If you're not, you should be. Right. Are you getting others registered to vote? Do you know some people who have been in the criminal justice system that don't know that their rights to vote is not, they don't lose that right to vote forever. Right. So help them with the restoration of their voting. Right. And, and don't just vote for the presidential elections. Vote for every election, local elections, primary elections. We have to vote for every last one of the elections because who you put in place at the local level is important because they are our voice as the community on the higher levels. Right. So we must make sure we are voting. And this is the thing. I want you all to understand this. Our relationships may change. You may be on Facebook and you may say some things and someone who you thought was a friend or who was a, or was a Facebook friend, you may have thought that they were cool people because they're a different race. Sometimes people say things or they ask questions not because they're trying to be racist or because they're trying to be problematic, but some of those people are saying things and asking questions simply because of the fact that they just don't know and they're trying to gain understanding. So we have to get out of our emotions and begin to have the conversation from a non-emotional standpoint. Let's bring the conversation in with facts. Let's address facts, allow people to process those facts, and then go forward from there. If they wanna remain in the same position that they're in, that's their business, leave them where they are, keep it moving, move on to the next person and give them that information. But do not feel like you have to eliminate relationships because people are asking questions. That is why I say white fragility is a real thing. There are some people that just truly don't understand the privilege that they have. And how can they? How can they understand a world that they don't truly live in? They don't understand what it is to be black and the fears and the anxieties that we deal with because they don't have to walk that out. So let's work on those relationships. I actually have a question. Mm -hmm. So do you think this young lady that reached out to me on match do you think she did not respond back to me was it me or was it my blackness <laughs> well i don't know um because i really can't speak for her but i would i think it would be safe to assume that your blackness in this climate may have been something that caused her to fall back, especially if she was engaging right. prior to the George Floyd incident. Right. So I definitely think that um, 
we just have to continue the dialogue and we let do. people know that it's okay to ask questions, but at the same time of asking questions, at the same time of gaining understanding, let's be compassionate about how what we're saying and what we're asking may impact those right. that we're speaking to. So listen, that's all the time we have today. I truly appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you, Jafar, for joining me today. Keisha, it was my pleasure. Please have me back on PH Balance anytime. Definitely will. Now listen, like I said before, if you haven't already, please check out Responsibly Reckless Podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and all the, the podcast platforms that are out there. Definitely a listen you don't want to miss. Average black man bringing things from the average black perspective responsibly and recklessly. Now, you have had an earful today, so I want you to take and process what you've processed. And soon we'll be talking about some online dating and things of that nature. I am Lakeisha Jones. I am your host. I want you to be intentional and find your balance. Thank you.